Cordell, I have something very, 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 very important to tell you. Good, yeah, tell me. I love importance. So, so I have been playing a lot of Elden Ring. Um, okay. Just grinding away now. Are you past level one? No. Well, <laughs> you start at level seven. So, yes, oh. I am past level one. Why do you start I'm, at level seven? If I could explain that to you, I don't, I, I would, but I don't know how to, so I won't. Okay. Um, playing Elden Ring made me realize something, um, and that's that in my life, I also need to put a lot more points into strength and vigor, um, and I don't really have anything else to say other than that, because I just wanted to say that joke. As okay. the cold open. That you need more strength and vigor? I need more strength and vigor. Well, rest up, because here comes the music. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Super, where we analyze, criticize, and otherwise size up superhero fiction. No story is off limits, and no medium is safe. I'm Cordell, the one who's had a very long day, even though it's only 11 a.m. And uh, my name is Caleb, the one who ate nachos for breakfast. Yeah, I'm going to get moderately personal. Not going to give you any details, listener, but like... This morning has already been a sucky, sucky one for Cordy, so I'm shaking out of it. I'm doing great, but like sometimes life is hard, and it's okay to be honest about that. So I'm going to bring my A game for you, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And Caleb yeah. ate nachos, so. I hate nachos, and can you imagine the place you have to be to eat nachos for breakfast? Because Caleb's there. It's a pretty good place, not going to oh, yeah. lie. Yeah, it's the yeah, best like place. I, Caleb, what's your yeah. breakfast of choice that should make you feel guilty, but you feel no guilt? Honestly, it doesn't exist anymore. Like, it straight up does not exist. What is it? It is the Burrito Day breakfast in Searcy, Arkansas. I've worked there for like three, almost four years, right? Yeah, yeah. Worked breakfast to the majority of the shifts that I worked. I would, and then they stopped doing breakfast right before I left Searcy. I would kill for that breakfast. Dang. I like like breakfast nachos from burrito day. A little bit of half and half regular and sweet potatoes, eggs, half and half chicken and bacon, pico de gallo salsa. Dang. Nacho cheese. Oh, you're making a little me bit hungry. of black olives and cilantro. You lost I, me on oh, the olives, but cilantro is good. Like it's just it's an untoppable experience to me. Yeah, they uh, stopped doing breakfast, and now they're open for dinner, though, which is great. Because there's nothing, there's nothing worse than getting off work and being like, I want burrito day for dinner. And then going, oh, man, they close at like 2 o'clock. Now, they're open yeah. late, baby. I will say it was 
I remember I worked the first ever dinner shift that they did. Yeah. It was like a Friday night dinner shift. Other than like there were like special events, yeah, but like the yeah. first regular dinner shift. And it was so funny because people were so used to us closing at two o'clock that from two o'clock to five o'clock, nobody came in. Because they, <laughs> they were pretty sure there was nothing there. Yeah, they were like, I don't think anything's going on in there. And so it was literally just me and the owner sitting in the back. Like, after we got everything done and had, like, deep cleaned the whole restaurant, we were like, huh, we really can just sit down and do nothing. Yeah, which is a rarity in restaurant work. It really is. It really, like, sometimes you sit down and do nothing, even though there's a million things to do. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was a really weird time. I remember whenever we lived together freshman year, you like worked a Saturday morning or something and I was asleep and I wake up to you coming back into the room after your shift and you had brought me a breakfast burrito. Yeah, I did. I remember this. And it yeah. was a really good breakfast burrito. Yeah, I remember because I was like getting a little bit into personal lives. I was like super depressed. When we lived together, not because I lived with Cordell, but just because of other circumstances that made me very depressed. So I pretty much stayed in our room 90% of the time. Yeah. And like did not leave and like just really shut myself in there. Um, And I felt bad about it. And so I was like, I just have to make up for it at least a little bit. And I was like, I'm just going to bring him breakfast which, if you know me, bringing me food, oh, you're never going to lose. You're never going to lose that. Speaking of things that we did when we lived together, I have finally introduced Olivia to the 2015 London theater version of, of Rocky, Rocky Horror, Horror Picture, Picture Show. Show. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I hold to this day that that is the best production of Rocky Horror Picture Show there is out there. Like... The movie I, is a cult classic, but like the movie honestly sucks outside of the fact that it's so enjoyable in a large group shouting stuff at the screen. Absolutely. I you can find this production on YouTube. If you like theater, if you like musicals, if you like Rocky Horror, find this on YouTube. It is worth the watch. It is some of the best dang singing you will ever hear in a Rocky performance. Speaking of something that is pretty dang good and some of the best stuff to watch, what did we watch this week, Cordell? So this week, we watched the long-awaited sequel to The Incredibles, also known as The Incredibles 2. Which, okay, so first of all, I wasn't here for The Incredibles episode, obviously. Um, Here's the thing. I would have given it a higher rating. Like I don't I don't remember what the actual rating was. I just know that if I was here it would have gotten a higher score because Incredibles is the first movie that I saw in theaters multiple times. Wow, it was your Star Wars. It was my Star Wars. Our whole family went and saw it at least 3 times in theaters. We loved The Incredibles. Do you do you want a quick blast from the past? And also, good explanation of what my family's like. Yes. Do you know the first movie we saw in theaters multiple times? And we're talking probably six times. What was it? Avatar. D Wait. Um. So, here's a fun fact about Caleb Hurley. I, today, am 24 years old, right? 
I have never seen Avatar. And at this point, I kind of refuse to watch it on principle. Caleb, I, I'm going to say this as your friend. The movie's okay. Okay. It's, it's, it's a good movie. I enjoy it. But like, I'm going to set the stage for you because you remember the craze. Oh, I remember it. Like that movie came out and the world shook. That until like two years ago was the biggest, highest grossing movie in history. Yeah, no, I rem I remember everyone was like obsessed with it. I remember I remember wanting to see it, yeah. but that movie because we saw it multiple times in 3D and not in 3D. That movie gave people depression. Did you hear about that? What? Because the world of Pandora was so beautiful and visualized and like brought to life so beautifully that there were people becoming like depressed because they couldn't live on Pandora and they had been introduced to this world and denied it because it's not a real thing. These people don't know how movies work. I know. It's what? more of like they no, wished so dumb. hard. It's super dumb, but like that's the kind of craze that surrounded this movie. And my my mother loved it so much and we went to see it several times in theaters this is like the the craze of people in the like harry potter times yeah we're like yeah. i turned 11 and didn't get my letter to hogwarts i'm like no magic isn't real exactly it is Stop. just like that except the I only would... type of magic is the magic found in a young girl's heart do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart i do good me too but i would rather live in the pandora world than the harry potter world I would rather, if I could live in any movie franchise world, I honestly, it'd be Lord of the Rings. I just feel like it'd be very fun to be a hobbit, that, but not fair. in the books, just in the movies. Yeah. Because in the books, spoiler warning for Lord of the Rings, in the books at the end of The Return of the King, they go back and then the orcs had just completely destroyed the Shire and they were like, ha ha, we did this while you were gone, suckers. Wait, wait, the good happy ending happens and they come home and the Shire is just raised. No, I want you to know in Return of the King, there is no happy ending in the book. What? There is no happy ending because it is based off of Tolkien's experience in of World War, War I, I and World yeah, War II. Yeah. So he came back to England and it was bombed and it was destroyed and his home was gone. And Tolkien wrote himself as the hobbit that went out to do all these grand things. Dang. Have you... I love... We're really off track, but I, I want to talk about this. I love how much Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were like enemies and friends and also completely different in terms of style. Yes. And this was the perfect example as it made me think there was a comic strip and it was like an interviewer going, Mr. Tolkien, is it true this book is based on your experiences in the world wars? And he said, no. And if you ask me again, I'll kill you. And then the next panel was C.S. Lewis frantically writing. And he's like, if people don't know that this lion is Jesus, I'm going to kill myself. See, there's that. But there's also like Treebeard, the notoriously slow, boring talker yep. is Based on C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And my favorite thing about the Ents is, do you know what happened to the Entwives, as they are called? So the female Ents. The, I know they explained it, but I do not remember. So the Ents explain it as the Entwives are gone. We don't know what happened. Tolkien in the Silmarillion, and yes, I'm a, I'm a Caleb Tolkien has read nerd. the Silmarillion. Yes. 
Andy Silmarillion really, and it explains that the Entwives became so bored with the Ents because all they would do was drone on about things that didn't affect them that they just left. <laughs> so if you want to know what Tolkien thought of C.S. Lewis, yeah, sometimes, yeah, they they were just the best. I I love every fact I learn about either of them. Did you know C.S. Lewis wrote, like, a sci-fi series? Yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. It was, like, before he wrote. Yeah. My parents, or my mom owns it some somewhere. I know I read it as a child and thought it was okay. Yeah. Anyway, The Incredibles 2 was a 2018 film written and directed by Brad Bird. Which is good that they got The Return of the Bird yeah. with Incredibles 2 um also it took them 14 years to make this yeah, sequel yeah before we dive into scores just give me a general feel for this movie in your opinion like so as of now i've seen it twice i watched it in theaters and i think I, and then i watched it like for this episode and my overwhelming sentiment now that i have seen it twice is that it is a good movie that I don't think was necessarily necessary. I have seen it four times now. Uh-huh. Um, and I agree to a point. Yeah. And I'm going to get with that in the scores. So, like, I, I enjoy it a lot. I think it's good. But I, it's also one of those things where I'm like, I'm glad this exists. But I don't necessarily care that this exists. Yeah. Like, yeah, if it, if it never happened, I wouldn't have been upset. But it did happen, and I'm not upset, but, like, I just, as much as I enjoy it, you'd think I'd like it more, given how good the first one was and how much I love superheroes, but I really am just wildly ambivalent about its existence. Yeah. Um, I think there's some interesting things that it does and interesting things that it says that agree. Uh, make it better for me. Um, but, yeah, let's just dive right in there with our grading system. Uh, the way we do it is we give it a super score with S being Stitch. What those costumes look like. How's that character design? U being the ultra. What is something this movie does really well? P is the plot. It's the plot. I think we all know what that means. A is aesthetics. Or sorry. E is aesthetics. We know it <laughs> starts with an A. Super. Um, we know it starts with an A, but uh, we got to go with the E to get that good acronym. But it's the aesthetics. What's the general look of the movie? Uh, this is where if we were talking live action, how do we feel about the camera movements? How do we feel about stuff like that? Well, there uh, are and quote the unquote camera movements for yeah, animated. Yeah. And are, how are the rumbles? We're talking about superhero stuff, so we got to know how the fights feel. We do. We got to. So diving right on in there, Cordell hit me with that Stitch score. So for this movie, I gave it a 7 out of 10, which is one point above what I gave the original. And I'll explain why. The costumes themselves and like the character design is far better in this movie than it was in the first. Mm -hmm. They add a lot of personality and depth and they really like drive home the time period, which was my biggest complaint with the first one is that it felt time agnostic, even though it was definitely a period movie. Right. Um, but now that everything else looks better, it really does shine a light on just how ugly the Incredibles family costumes are. Yeah. Like I get that. Like 
Druid made the point, and I can't stop seeing it now, that the, the red, black, and yellow, and just the pure red across the whole body, does not look good. And the better the animation is, the worse it looks. I disagree. I really like the red, black, and yellow. I It looks like, like they're wearing long johns. Yeah, but think about, like, we're talking about the 60s here. So, like, that's kind of how, that's kind of how, like superheroes kind of look like doesn't look make at the me 60 like it. superman costume that doesn't and make he me looks like, like he's wearing blue long john with boots doesn't make me like it though <laughs> but you but but you understand how it's a little bit of a contradiction to say you don't like the things that make it feel like a period piece of the Not 60s being, and yet yeah. and yet dissing the thing that makes it a 60s superhero every other costume looked better I understand Did that it? it's like, yeah, I understand that like they're they're Did vaguely it, no. 60s, but that doesn't mean they're not what was the issue here. They no one looks at the Incredibles and go, oh, yeah, they feel very much like they stepped out of the 60s. Well, no, oh, I don't know. I gave it a six. I gave okay, it a so six. why are you fighting with me if I gave it a better score? Because I think the Incredibles costume is the highlight for the Stitch score. Frozone's like the Incredibles, Frozone. Yeah, I think they're on the same foot. No. I think the reason that I gave it a lower score is because the side characters, the side heroes' costumes were garish, honestly. I would prefer garish with touches of character decisions over than a brick wall of Mr. Incredible being red. No, no, no. But we have a literal brick wall. That was an inspired decision. That was an inspired costume. That that design. You put that design in Invincible and you would love it. And I know you would. I don't like it in this, though. And this is what I'm judging it on. Is it within the context of Incredibles 2, a children's movie? This is going to be a contentious episode. (laughs) Let's keep going. (laughs) So overall, oh my gosh, yeah, I gave it a six. Uh, I, I think the costumes, I think there are some really big hits and also some misses. And averaging it out becomes a six. It's... I gave it's it a seven whatever. because the first movie had a six and it did improve. So I gave it an improvement. Um, speaking of improvements and the last movie, Cordell, what's our ultra for Incredibles 2? So our ultra is something I have a thought on, but it is the continuity that this movie seamlessly picks up where the first one ended and takes a story from there. We thought that was really cool. And I want Caleb to tell me his thoughts first. Uh, I think the fact that this opens up with the fight that I wanted to see yeah. since I was a little kid yeah. is it's exactly what I wanted it to do. Um, it opens up with the incredible family fighting the underminer, but still not quite getting along because they're a family and not everything goes perfectly brilliant decision i absolutely love it um i think that it's also interesting that it picks up it picks up directly after um because i you know i'm sure sarah vowel stepping back into the recording booth wasn't exactly prepared to do a teenage violet voice again yeah like that kind of thing where but 
that that's kind of how it is. It, it it's it's brilliantly done. I think it it's an eight for me. I think it is incredible. No pun intended. You intended that. Own it. No, no, you I actually in- didn't. Okay. I, that's just a word that I use a lot. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just looking to pick a fight. I can feel it. I gave it a seven. Interesting. Okay. I think I mean we kind of hit the nail on the head. Like we chose the continuity. Because it did a good job with it. And they did a good job of, like, showing, like you said, that the family had grown but wasn't completely different out of nowhere. Because the mm-hmm. ending of the first movie is kind of like, and now everything's perfect. And that's just not the case. Also, it showed, like, a good, it did a good job of being like, hey, the politics have been going on behind the scene this whole time. Yeah. What I did not like, though, is the fact that this is what we had to settle on for our Ultra score. Oh, which is kind of a weird meta commentary on a thing we picked. But I will say, I could not really think of another Ultra. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, think, I think there are other things that are done well in this movie. However, none of them are really Ultra. And that, that is kind of my abiding... I think that's the source of my ambivalence for this movie, like I talked about earlier, is... I've given it very good scores. This movie is good in all regards, but I yeah. don't think it does anything truly special. And I think that is the issue I have with it. Is that like it brought everything solid. Like it did a good job. It even had some good heart in it, but it still didn't do anything that really justified doing it. So here is something that I, it's something that I've been thinking about recently in general. And then Incredibles 2 brought it up. When I was a little kid, Pixar movies were the ideal movie for me. I loved Pixar. Yeah. As I got older, I don't really like Pixar movies that much anymore. I don't think the new ones are as good as the old ones. Blah, blah, blah. Insert me sounding like a boomer here. Part of me wonders if the fact that we couldn't find anything ultra is because of how much older we've gotten. Mm. And how movies have changed, uh, specifically like animated movies meant for children have changed, or is it possibly a decline in Pixar quality? Well, I think the second question is easier to answer than the first, so I'm going to pull up a list of Pixar films recently, Okay, and we're going to talk about them. And again, like with everything in the show, this is very subjective, but I think it's an interesting question. So, I have not seen Turning Red yet, and I'm not going to comment on it. I have, yeah, I haven't either, so let's not talk about that one yet. Last six movies from Pixar mm-hmm. have been Luca, Soul, okay. Onward, okay. Toy Story 4, Incredibles 2, and Coco. I didn't realize Coco was Pixar. Yep. Um, I think it was uh, probably a Disney Pixar, if I had to guess. But, like, looking at that list... None of those are bad movies. No, no, none of them are. Um, I of those six, I think Coco's my favorite. I would agree with that, but I think the point that this brings up is it's clear the movies aren't declining. I think they're just not for us anymore. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Which is a kind of weird leaf turning moment to have in a podcast, but like. I think there comes a time in your life where you have to realize that you won't always like the same things and that sometimes you outgrow stuff. And that doesn't mean it's bad now. It just means it's not yours anymore. 
And I think Pixar movies might just be that thing where they're still good, but they're not targeted at us necessarily now. And it's okay if we've outgrown them. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Pixar was a formative part of my childhood. Oh, yeah, Toy absolutely. Story. Toy Story is still one of my favorite movies. Um, and I think part of me, I don't know, there may be some psychological reasons. There may be some like psychology coming on in a second. But like part of me almost feels a weird kind of hurt and betrayal by the fact that these movies are no longer made for me. <laughs> Which yeah, is like, yeah. it's wild. Like, there's probably some narcissism built into that sentence. I, I but think like, it's I think it's the same thing, and I'll let you go on. But, like, I think it's like when you realize that your friends have other friends. It's it's exactly that feeling. Where it's like, it this, is exactly I have feeling. no right to be upset. I have other friends. But how dare you have other friends? Yes. Yeah. It is exactly that feeling of, like... How could my friend have other friends? It's how could these movies be made for someone else? Especially like, I haven't seen Toy Story 4. I haven't. I have no interest. I, I'm terrified to watch it because Toy Story 3 was the last Pixar movie I remember seeing in theaters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I probably have seen some others and just forgot about them because that's how I am as a person. Yeah. Um, But... And so part of me is terrified to watch Toy Story 4 because I'm like, what if this ruins something that was so fundamental to my childhood? Yeah. And I think I think there are lessons to be gathered from this point in so many fields of yeah. life in general. Like you and I are fans of a lot of things. We like to like stuff and we like to partake mm-hmm. in things, but not everything we partake in is pointed at us. Yeah. A couple examples that come to mind are like Pokemon and Star Wars. And we have I'm running the risk of making a lot of enemies here. But yeah. I love both I love Pokemon a lot. Star Wars I'm cooler on as I age. But Pokemon is made for children. Those games have always been made for children. And they have made like Pokemon Arceus is definitely a more advanced play experience. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, they are still all pointed at kids. And there's a large mm-hmm. section of the fandom who grew up with the games that are like, why are they so easy now? They used to be harder. They did used to be a little harder, but also you're not the target audience anymore. And it's not yeah. the, it, it is not the job of the franchise to cater to you now when they have always been making these games for kids. Well, and it's also one of those things that we're both fans of Magic the Gathering and some people complain when a set is too basic. Yeah, sometimes it's for a beginner. It's for a beginner. That's why I really wish they would bring back the old, like, beginner level stamp or ex- expert stamp on the packs, honestly. That's fair. I I also think it's like with Magic, they'll release a product that's like a supplementary thing. It's not in standard. It's like just a, a group of cards for X person. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why does this exist? Well, because someone wants it. Someone out yeah. there wants that product. Doesn't have to be about you. Yeah. And it's the same with Star Wars. Like... The nostalgia point of Pokemon and Star Wars is people who grew up with it will always think the originals were better than anything else. Yeah. And there's a strong tendency to get frustrated and upset because the new stuff doesn't feel like the old stuff did, but you're not who you were. It's not the same formative experience. You're trying to measure it up to something you can never have again. Yeah. So I think that's just us with Pixar. Yeah. But let this be a lesson too. Just because it's not for me doesn't mean it's not a good movie. Yeah. And... 
kind of moving on, but like yeah. a, a thing that I think is still good about Pixar and is still good about Pokemon um, too is even though these movies are made for children, there is still some complexity. Yeah. And there is enough that it is meant for adults. And for me in this movie, that is the plot. The plot yeah. of this movie has a lot of really, really cool, complex things that are built in and baking against each other. So much so, this plot is a nine for me. Is it perfect? No. Does it broadcast some of it turn some of its twists and turns ahead of time? Yes. However, even last night, me knowing what was going to happen when the villain is revealed, I was still a little surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's genuinely good. It's genuinely a really good plot that it's just really well done and really, really smartly written. Yeah. I I gave it a nine as well. Yep. And it's funny because this I think this plot is like a lot stronger than the first movie's plot, even though they're essentially the same plot. Bad guy tricks the hero into thinking there's a chance to be a hero again but then twist the chance into a way to take revenge on heroes and bend public perception of them. Yeah, but it, it I think it is two mirror yeah. versions of the plot. Because in the first movie, you have Buddy who wants to be a hero so much that he adopted all these powers and became a villain. Yeah, and killed versus, a lot of heroes. Yeah, and killed a lot of heroes. Versus this movie's villain who I'm spacing on her Evelyn? Name. Is it um, Evelyn? Evelyn, yeah, Evelyn. That sounds right. You have Evelyn, whose father idolized heroes so much so that she felt neglected. So then she grew up to resent heroes and eventually want to get rid of them. And more than neglected, she blames heroes for her father's death because she she thinks they made him too dependent. Yes. Which is exactly her qualm with technology, too. Like, which the screenslaver has the just dopest monologue in the movie absolutely and like he's talking about how we don't play games we watch game shows we don't do this we watch this like we don't we don't talk we watch talk tv we we don't experience and live life we simply watch something happen and to a degree that's very very true i mean we are making a podcast for people to listen to us have opinions yeah so like the screenslaver makes some very good points and all of evelyn's anger and frustration stemmed from think like her dad became so dependent on a good thing that he died. Yeah. And she bl- she thinks of supers just like she thinks of technology. As this is a good thing that has become so important to us that we have lost our ability to live lives, and it's killing us. It is brilliantly done. Evelyn is incredibly written. Yeah. Um, and also, I this is one of those times where I looked at a cartoon and I was like, yeah, I get it. I get why people like cartoons. I get it. This was one of those moments. I was like, yeah, I get it. It's a real good movie, even though it's just not my thing anymore, you know? Yeah. Moving on to aesthetics, because we spent a lot of time on the Ultra, which is good, but... It is good, yeah. The rest of it, I think, is going to be a little breezier. I gave it an 8. I did not like the aesthetics of this movie. Um, I gave it a 6. Really? Again. I Yeah. So, here's the thing. Was there... I'm going to put big air quotes around this. Improvements to the animation. Yes. Undeniably. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. That's fair. I, 
I think I love the first one so much. And like the first one was a darker tone um, overall. Like you cannot deny Incredibles versus Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2 is just bright. It's like watching the Avengers versus Infinity War. Like once it got taken over by Disney, things got very different visually. Yes. And that is what we're dealing with is it just it's different. It's a lot brighter. I, I yet again like aesthetically I don't I don't like like super bright movies in general I tend to prefer ones that have a darker hue and I'm just I'm not talking about like even thematically just literally yeah, yeah. darker um a little easier and, on the eyes yeah this one is very abrasive that's honestly my problem with a lot of anime is that it's not easy on the eyes and I can't that's fair do it um but this movie is very harsh very abrasive um i very much uh, like it's one of those that if i caught this on the on a wrong day i would walk away with a headache yeah you know and it's different enough from the original and the original is just such a good almost perfect movie in my mind that to mess with it really kind of felt kind of gross i could see that i i just think visually it looks a lot nicer i'm happy with a brighter color palette and i i mean i don't really have a ton to say i thought it was just a very good looking movie and i like the aesthetics and i'm a sucker for the 60s look i just am yeah so like i thought it was good i don't have a lot of depth to bring to it i thought it looked nice yeah now's the thing another one where i feel like we're gonna disagree I don't know. It's time for those rumbles. Here's the thing. You tell me what you got. Well, you say your score. I'll say mine. And we'll go from there. I gave it an eight. I gave it a nine. Oh, my. What? Oh, yeah. This is the highest scored movie for me rumble wise so far. Holy crap. And let me tell you why. Tell me why. What this movie does very, very well, that most of the movies we have watched so far have not done well yet. Show off powers. Show off powers. These fights are slick. They are beautiful. They know how their powers work. Watching Elastigirl do literally anything with her powers is mesmerizing. Oh, absolutely. Like, they use Elastigirl to her full extent in this movie. She is doper than dope she's awesome she looks fantastic her skills are on full display and even like violet they were like huh force fields are more than just circles that go around you like she started throwing force field blades even in the very beginning of the movie like using her powers better void i'm teleporting like making portals is my favorite power Mm -hmm. outside of force fields so like like if i could have a superpower i would either make force fields or make portals and I'm leaning more towards portals. So, like, watching a character do that well gave me a high that I haven't felt since Days of Future Past watching Blink. Yeah. So, like, they know how to use powers and they know how to use them well. There's still a little bit of the we take turns thing, but that's only with the minor characters each getting to show off what they do. This movie mm-hmm. knows how to use their powers well, and the fights are very strong. They're very good. I just wish there were more of them. I agree. I also think this movie does a good job of showing there is a humorous element, and it's not like subtle humor. It's in-your-face humor of Jack-Jack figuring out his powers. Yeah. And I think it is 
very good and very cute. Yeah, um, yeah. D- Jack Jack is precious, and I love him. And I will tell you my opinion later. Okay. Foreshadowing. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. oh, goodness gracious. Cordell, it's time. It's time for the highs and the lows of this movie. Okay. Give, do you want my highlight first or your highlight? Um, I think I want your highlight first. So more and more, the more we've talked about it and the more I've thought about it, Screen Slaver is the highlight of the movie for me. Absolutely. And like almost to the point that I'm shocked we didn't go with that as our ultra. Um, To, I, to a degree, it, it, I'm shocked. I, I think the only problem I have with Screen Slaver being the ultra was Screen Slaver amazing. Yes. I don't think it was quite ultra worthy, though. And I think that's, again, just goes to show the kind of issue with this movie for us. Yeah. But for me, Screen Slaver is a really complicated villain. Like, yeah, her motivations are really complex. And her relationship with her brother... Her, the way she goes about all this and her hatred of technology, like there is there is a deep well there to go into. And I wish I had my thoughts better collected to dive in there. But like Screenslaver is an excellent villain that brings up a lot of good points that the movie never quite talks about beyond that. Because it's a little that's a little too complicated for a kid's film. Yeah. But, like, if the whole movie had been about Screen Slaver's monologue in the middle, that would have been a wildly good movie. Yeah, I absolutely agree. My highlight, despite the costumes, the side characters are fun. They are. All have very fun personalities, and all of them have powers that are both inventive and yet plays on the tropes of 1960s heroes. Yeah. You you have your super strong. You have your teleporting. You have you you have all this. All of them are fun plays on the tropes without being carbon copies of other heroes, and that is so well done, especially for characters that maybe get twenty minutes of screen time. Big agree. They're very good. I absolutely think the writers just knocked it out of the park on that. Yeah. What's your low light? It's the animation style. It's just you just couldn't couldn't hang. I just couldn't get over it. It's there are scenes of the of it that I really like, and then there's the whole boat sequence, um, which is like the last thirty minutes of the movie. That's fair. That and it's just it's it's almost like they were avoiding making it more like human because like The Incredibles when the first movie came out, fairly humanistic. For like animation at the time. And then this one, they somehow got closer to making it more realistic while also moving further away. What do you, and it almost yeah. like, do you mean with the, the content of the climax of being the boat being the big thing they have to stop at the end or no, I just mean the look. Okay. Okay. Like Bob somehow looks more human and yet more animated. I get that. And it's just, my brain cannot quite parse that and figure it out enough that, like, while I was watching this, I was kind of like, I, I can't focus on anything right now. This is not good. I can't focus this. That's fair. That's fair. I dig that. I can make it. I can I can live with that. What about you? What's the low light? Why do we have so much, baby? 
I love baby. But why so much? That's so no! much baby. No, baby is good. Baby is good. And this is I this is a very tension filled opinion for me to have because I'm not even sure if I'm all the way with it. I love Jack Jack as the precious little baby with fun, wild, scary powers, but I think he took up too much real estate in the plot and was a little bit of a deus ex machina. Jack Jack is one of the best parts of this movie. He is, but I don't like him being such a centerpiece in the actual plot of how things get done. How else would it have happened, Cordell? I don't know. Maybe Violet and Dash think a little more cleverly. I think they were thinking pretty clever when they were like, oh, there's a fact that we can track this baby wherever he goes. Yeah, that was a baby-centered plot point. Yeah, but that was cool. uh, Caleb, hear me. I loved Jack-Jack in this movie, but I think it is a weakness of the film that it had to throw in so much preciousness and plot convenience wrapped up in a bow. But he's so cute, you forget and don't think about the fact that he is a plot device furthering the story so they don't have to think as much. I I think I just love Jack Jack to the like as a as a plot device so much that I'm never going to agree with you on this. That's okay. I I love Jack Jack. My favorite thing about the Incredibles was Jack Jack Attack growing up. So like Yes. I love Jack Jack. And if all of the stuff he did in this movie were his own little short film like that, I'd still be on board. But I don't like him taking up real estate for these very well-developed characters that are now playing second fiddle to the cute. Kind of like with Minions and Despicable Me. In the first movie, they were cute little sidekicks. In the second, they were more prevalent. By the third, they were the plot. Yeah, and then they had the Minions movie. If they ever make an Incredibles 3, Jack-Jack will be even more the centerpiece, even in the marketing. So, like, this is a slippery slope on this cute convenience scale. And I want to make this graph now of, like, the... Plot convenience Cute and cuteness convenience. scale. I Because I think there's a straight up, like, if you make a scattergram of it, you could track with an almost perfect line going, like, one-to-one of how cute a character is and how acceptable their plot convenience is. Because Jar Jar Binks, his plot convenience is way up there, but his cuteness is way down, and people hate him. So I think that I hadn't thought about that. I think yeah, there's a metric. Right, the yeah. the cuter a character is, the more convenience we overlook that they bring. The less cute a character is, the less convenience we appreciate them bringing before we dislike them. Basically, if you fall below the cute convenience line, people hate you. This is starting to sound like the hot crazy scale that's, from how I met your mother. That's where I got the basis from. I'm not going to lie. Fair enough. But am I wrong? I Are you going to look at me and tell me I'm wrong? I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but I'm not going to agree with you right Her sister now. came down in a bubble, dog. <laughs> Her sister came down in a bubble, dog. Grow up. The funny thing about that video is he was wrong. Like, 100%. she's not a princess, but let's move on. Because it's time for... Not Super. Super, 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 super. Hello, and welcome to Not Super, where we talk about whatever I want. I was inspired by our conversation less than 30 seconds ago, Caleb. Okay. So my question for you is, where okay. do you fall on the on the hot crazy scale? Uh, I, um, I don't know. I'll give you a second to think about it while I explain to the audience. In How I Met Your Mother, one of the characters has a, has a theory, and he has a graph to prove it. 
And his theory is that the more attractive a person is, the more crazy they are allowed to be before they become dangerously crazy. And the less attractive they are, the less crazy they could be. Basically, what I just described. So, Caleb, where do you feel you fall on the hot crazy scale? Um, I feel like, I feel like, um, somehow, I, okay, see, here's the problem. I do not view myself as attractive, but at least, at least three times a day, my fiance will just stop and look at me for a few seconds, and then I'm like, what? And then she's like, you're just so cute. I love you. And so, like, I feel like it is person per person. So, obviously, for my fiance, I am very high up on the hot scale, and I think fairly low on the crazy. Because if I was high on the crazy, I don't think she would actually marry me. So, to myself, I am very low on the hot and very high on the crazy because I see my own crazy as crazier than anyone else's crazy, you know. Yeah. But to my fiance, I am high on the hot, low on the crazy, or maybe mid on the crazy. I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. What about me? What, what, how would you rank me? I would rank you 10 out of 10 on the hot and 10 out of 10 on the crazy. Oh, that puts me in the date zone. I would put you at like a 4.6 on the crazy and for my tastes like a solid eight to eight and a half on the hot okay what well here's the next question though because everyone's got different like reasons they're crazy what what sparks my craziness because i have my theories on like what what are my crazy details i think and you may disagree with me but in my interactions with you I think some of your crazy is you you tend you you can be very indecisive. Okay. But also wildly stubborn. That's fair. I think the uh, term I would use for me and to describe my craziness is idiosyncratic. Yeah, I would agree like, with that. Like I have a lot of particularities about me as a person and I'm generally easygoing outside of those things. Mhm. But if you happen to touch one of my like idiosyncrasies, I will I will get really riled up really fast. What's my crazy in your Well, where would you rate me and then what is my crazy? So you're not necessarily my type. Fair. But I think crate I think hot, you I would honestly call you a good seven. Like I think you're Thanks. a very good looking dude, but I also know that like, guys like us are a little bit more of an acquired taste. Like, not everybody's going to be into a really big dude. Not everyone is into a Fozzie bear. Yeah, we're we're just a couple of Fozzie bears waka waka-ing out here, and we got to take whoever wants us. Mm-hmm. So, I'd give you a good seven, because I think you're a good-looking fella, and I'm glad you found someone as good-looking and honestly kind of crazy as Olivia. Yeah. And then on the <laughs> craziness... <sighs> You're a very subtle kind of crazy. What number did you give me? I want to I wanna remember the comparison. I'm, I'm going to give you like a four. I, I think I gave you like a 4.6, 4.8. Like okay. Upper four. Upper four. I, To me, you're probably hanging out around... I, I'd put you at like almost a six. Just because I don't so, understand you all the time. Yeah. But that's my... That's me. I feel like realistically you're probably like a four and a half but to me you perplex me just enough that i'd give you a six 
I'm a perplexing individual. I contain multitudes. The inner machinations of your mind are an enigma. It's just two hamsters sharing a wheel. That's very sweet. I like that. That's cute. Nah, there's a video called Two Hamsters, One Wheel on YouTube, and it runs in my head every day. (laughs) And it's just two hamsters trying to share a spinning wheel, but it goes so wrong, and they just keep kicking each other off, and it's very funny. Okay. Caleb, let's 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 start to wrap this puppy up. What's our super score? All right, super score. We're just gonna go cut and dry. It's a seventy-seven. Um, okay, which is pretty good. You know, that's a solid C plus. Uh, you know what that means for this movie, Cordell? You watch it if it's on. It means it means if you just watch The Incredibles, probably watch this the next day just to kind of get some resolution. That's fair. Yeah, but you're not gonna just watch this. You know, it's not like no. not like. Another sequel you might watch without watching the first before. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There we go. There we go. Yeah, sure. Or Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, it's not like an an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, you can just watch any of those without watching the ones before it, and it still makes sense. Well, Cordell, but that being the super score, if you remade this movie, yeah, what would you do? I think you know. The the easy, simple answer is less Jack-Jack, more fights. But if I'm going to be honest and, like, have a real critique here, I would make the plot centered more on the Screenslaver's actual goals and actual, like, I guess politics is what you could call it, and less on let's have superheroes get really illegal, because that's a piece of the plan, but, like, Screenslaver has a vendetta against technology and against our dependence, and I think think there's a very good narrative there that was hidden and lost because – it can't be that complex of a movie when it's for children. Absolutely. What about you? Um, I would just turn down the brightness a bit, and uh, I really want a little bit more about Void. So I would honestly make a little bit of a spinoff about some of those side heroes, I love maybe Void. like a Disney Plus series yeah. uh, about Void. I would be so happy about that. Also, did you know there's a popular fan theory that Void is trans? Interesting. Yeah, there's a popular theory in that she views Elastigirl as kind of a mother figure because her own parents didn't accept her. And she thinks that because Elastigirl, uh, you know, is different herself, that she would understand the differences and accept her more. That's a pretty dope theory. I like it. It's a fun theory. It's a fun one. Yeah. Now, did the hero do this when duty called? Or did I even get up? It's time for true or false. Yeah, yeah. This is... This... True or false? First of all, last week, did people get it right? I'm looking now. Oh, did they? You should really pull this up sooner. I should. Anyway, uh, last week, everyone got it right. Yeah, Herbie Popnecker, a.k.a. Herbie the Fat Fury, does not feel when he's getting attacked. He's so invincible. He's so powerful. Ridiculous. So powerful. This week, this true or false is not just about this movie. It is about movie history. Okay. Do you know who the voice actress of Mrs. Incredible is? Oh, that is Helen Hunt. Holly Hunter. Holly Very Hunter. Close. Dang it. Who's Helen Hunt? Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter in the early, or sorry, in the like late 70s and early 80s. Is this true or false? Oh. Shared an apartment with, are you ready? Yeah. Helen Hunt was the lead actress in Twister. Yes. Holly Hunter shared an apartment with the following people, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and both Coen brothers. 
I want that to be true so bad that I'm going to say true. It feels just a little too awesome and just radical. But you said Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, and the Coen brothers? And the Coen brothers. They all share enough, like, style that I could I could see it. Um, especially Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have too much of a, like, excellent friendship that I would believe that they lived together at one point. The Coen brothers make it a little too fanciful for me, but I'm going to say true because I need to believe in this world. Is it true or is it false? Cordell's going to find out after we stop recording, but you guys are going to find out next week. Excellent. If you want to play along, go to the Twitter. Hop on there. Follow us at JustSuper616 on Twitter.com. Is it at Twitter.com? I don't know. It's Twitter.musk at this point, basically. <laughs> anyway, you could do that. If you want to follow Caleb, the uh, the one who's cute enough to get away with his crazy... You could do so at Awkward from 1997. And if you want to follow Cordell, the one who is most of the time cute enough to get away with his crazy, but every now and then, if you untie his shoelaces, he might deck you. You could do so at Cordelicious. This show is produced oh, wait, by the one and only. Sorry, sorry. You could also oh. email us at justsuper616 at gmail.com. This show is, uh, oh gosh, you threw me off my rhythm. This show is edited, uh, this episode was edited and most of the episodes before were edited by Cordell Hutchison, the one that is cute enough to give it away with this crazy, like, 90% of the time. So sorry for throwing off your rhythm. This, the, our podcast art, because of goods and services, was made by the one and only Haley Northington, the one who was always cute enough to get away with all that crazy. Um... And if you want to find more of her art, you can find it at littlelight97.redbubble.com. This show is produced by the two of us speaking into two different microphones in two different spaces. And this week, you, yes you, can be super by... I'm pretty sure we had a moral early in the episode that we discussed, and I can't remember it. You know what? The moral is it's okay if you fight with your family occasionally. No family is perfect. Don't hold your family to that standard. It's okay if they're unperfect, but also call them out if they're doing stuff that's bad. But also, whenever you have hard confrontations, remember to talk things through in love. Like, be kind above all else. You can be firm. You can be strict, but be kind. This world is too mean. Unless it's... A street magician. A street magician. Punch him. Punch him. Punch them. In the face. Punch them like they just untied my shoelaces. Punch them like they just moved the grill a foot to the right. Don't like it. Just punch them. Punch them. Punch them.